Thank you for tuning in to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a church located in Lexington, Kentucky, with a heart for God and a vision for the gospel. I'm Derek Holmes, lead pastor. So grab your Bibles and let's hear from the Word. Join me in the book of John, the book of John, chapter 1 today. Uh, John is the fourth of the gospel accounts in the New Testament. Um, And uh, I'll be preaching from verses 40 uh, through 42 this morning. Uh, Today is the final message of the Who's Your One series. Um, And as a church, what we've been doing through the Who's Your One series is we've been focusing on Jesus's command to go and actually make disciples. No matter what may change in the world around us, the gospel remains the same. And I'm thankful for the gospel message that God so loved the world, as John 3.16 says, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. No matter what may come, whether it's peacetime or wartime, whether it's pandemic or whether it's just life is normal, the gospel message is still the same. And um, the gospel message is still available to us as well. And uh, in the, the, the responsibility that we have to share the gospel uh, with those around us is still the same too. And, you know, this is still an, an excellent time and an awesome time to still be praying for our ones and to be interacting with our ones. I mean, right now, what better opportunity than to talk to our ones about Jesus and about the hope that is in us, uh, no matter what may be going on around us. And we're positioned at a time in history right now when I believe that our ones um, have been praying, uh, that we've been praying for for this month, um, have possibly could be more open to hearing from us. And we have to learn to seize those opportunities. And that's really what the subject of the message is about this morning. Um, We're going to talk about seizing the opportunity to bring our ones to Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, if you tuned in, it was a tough message. We preached on the reality of hell. And um, that is a tough message for us to remember and to, uh, for us to, uh, to never forget is that God uh, created hell for the devil and his angels. He didn't create it for us, but because of our sins, we separated, us, uh, we separated ourselves from God. But there is hope. The gospel message can change, our, can change our eternal destination, can take us from eternal death into eternal life. That's the message that we have. That's why Graceway Church exists to share the gospel with others. And so I want you to know that I've been praying for you. We've been praying for each one of your ones, the cards that you took in or that you turned in um, a couple of weeks ago uh, during our last corporate worship service. We've been praying over each one of those ones. And I know this this month you've been praying as well as we've been praying through a devotional together. Continue to pray. And now let's step in and take and seize those opportunities to begin having those gospel conversation with those ones that God laid on our hearts. Speaking of seizing opportunities this morning, I want to look at our text uh, this morning in John chapter 1. We're just going to look at three verses today. It's actually an account when Jesus was early on in his ministries, he was still calling his disciples. Uh, We're going to see the account of, uh, of a disciple by the name of Andrew. And let's look at verse number 40 uh, together. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. The first found his own brother Simon and told him, uh, or he says he first found his own brother Simon and he told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John, for you will be called Cephas, which is translated uh, to Peter or the rock. Andrew, the first thing he did after he came to Jesus was he said, I need to bring my brother Peter to Jesus as well. Father, I pray that you would speak to us from your word this morning. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that your word never changes, that it's forever settled in heaven. Thank you that no matter how much things may change around us, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, you will guide us 
in truth and in wisdom as we look into your word and we're fed by it today. So it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. So when we read the Gospels, uh, just like this account, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who are all the, basically all of them are eyewitness accounts of Jesus's ministry. It gives us the, the nuts and bolts of what Jesus did in his life and his ministry here on earth. When you read those Gospels, you find out that there are some huge, spectacular moments in it. I mean, you've got stories like Jesus walking on water, when he turned water into wine, when he fed the 5,000. There's just miraculous moments. They're huge, big events that take place in Scripture. And they're, they're events that we talk about, we preach about, we study, and we're amazed at the power of Jesus Christ and at the, uh, the awesomeness of the moment uh, that we see within, within the Gospel. But it's very easy that in the middle of all of those huge events, that we sometimes skip over the stuff that doesn't just jump off the page at us. Some of the stuff that may seem mundane or may seem even insignificant. We sometimes will look at those things and think that they're just narrative fillers or that's just filling the page from, uh, from big event to big event. This, what we're looking at this morning, the text that we look at this morning is one of those kind of insignificant passages. But I want to challenge you this morning. What I want to point out this morning is this may seem like an insignificant passage, but it has a very significant message to us today. As a church that's wrapping up this series on evangelism, uh, that is going to be commissioned to go out and to start having gospel conversations with our ones and to be more bold in our witness. Because what we see here um, is an underwhelming story that has an overwhelming uh, outcome to it. You see, these three verses that we read this morning can be missed if we're not careful. We, we see in our passage a pretty simple guy. He's Andrew. And, and it's a very simple story. Andrew becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ, and then he brings his brother Peter to follow Jesus as well. Many of you have probably read through this passage, and you've glossed over that, and you said, all right, that's cool. That's awesome. That's how, that's how the, the disciples came to come around Jesus. It's kind of an underwhelming story in comparison to the miracles that take place a little later on. It's kind of an underwhelming story to the crucifixion and to the resurrection and to raising Lazarus from the dead. But this story, this account is just as significant and just as important to us understanding the gospel and how everything fits together in, this, uh, in the Bible message. You see, on the surface, Andrew's ministry may seem like it's underwhelming to us. You see, he's the least known of the four uh, disciples on the inner circle. Andrew ordinarily is left very much in the background behind uh, Peter, James, and John. Andrew's only mentioned nine times in the gospel text. And most of those times it's just in passing. He's just mentioned in a listing of all the other 12 disciples. He doesn't get a whole lot of press in the New Testament. But here what we see is his insignificant role was very significant uh, to a lot of people in the world. You see, if the gospels were a movie script, Andrew would barely, barely qualify as a supporting role. Now, Andrew's name tells us something about him, tells us the kind of guy that he was. Andrew's name means manly. He was kind of a, a man's man. He was a fisherman. He was a strong fisherman. Uh, his character qualities, uh, though we don't know a whole lot about him, but uh, scholars have studied a little bit and what we know prove him to be a bold person. He's decisive and he's very intentional and deliberate in the way that he lives his life. He was a man that was driven by passion for the truth and he was also willing to subject himself to the most extreme kinds of hardship. Andrew's personal encounter with Jesus took place a few months after Jesus' baptism, which took place in John chapter 1. Just a few verses before we got into our text this morning, you see that account of Jesus' baptism. Uh, Andrew's conversion takes, just a few, takes place just a few, moments, uh, a few months after that. You see, Andrew and John were followers of John the Baptist, the guy who baptized Jesus uh, into the ministry. 
And so one day as John the Baptist is standing there and, uh, and, and his followers are standing there, James and, uh, James, I'm sorry, James and Andrew uh, are standing there, John the Baptist looks and there's Jesus walking by and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, there is a man, that's the man that you should be following. And immediately, Andrew and John decide to leave John the Baptist and they go and they begin following Jesus. And immediately at that time, that's their conversion experience. They become disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, from the language of our text, here's what happens immediately after Andrew comes to Christ. What does he do? It says, he went and he brought his brother, Simon Peter, to Jesus. He didn't send him to Jesus. He didn't go home and say, hey, man, I met this guy named Jesus, and I'm following him now. I'm his disciple, and you need to go find him and follow him too. He didn't say, hey, let me direct you to Jesus. He didn't even go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, would you mind to go and talk to my brother Peter? He took it upon himself to personally go and lead his brother to Jesus Christ. From this point on, after this moment, Peter's gonna, or Andrew's going to kind of fade off into the shadows behind his brother. You see, Peter gets a lot of the press. There's two books of the Bible that, that bear his name, First and Second Peter. He was used to preach the message at Pentecost, and thousands of people trusted Christ that day when the church was originated. Peter gets a lot of the press, and a lot of people are tempted to look at Peter and say, man, his life was more impressive. His life was more significant than his brother Andrew's. Andrew was content to live in the shadows because that's the personality that he had. But his faithfulness in bringing Peter to Christ is just as faithful to God and just as obedient to God as Peter walking his path uh, with Jesus as well. Because here in our text, what we see here is Andrew was used to touch one who then would touch thousands. And not only did he touch one that touched thousands on Pentecost, he touched one in Peter who is still touching us today through the writing of First and Second Peter and the examples that we've seen here. The interesting fact to understand is had Andrew never been born, the New Testament would have changed significantly. Think about it. Peter may have never been saved if Andrew had not done what he did. Someone else would have then preached the famous Pentecost sermon. We would have had to eliminate two books of the New Testament in First and Second Peter like I was talking about. You see, God only knows what else would have been left out of the Bible and out of church history. Andrew was the first of all of the disciples that were called, according to John chapter 1. And his eagerness to follow Christ combined with his zeal for introducing other people to Christ is what makes his life so meaningful. Even though he doesn't show up a whole lot in the annals of history, Andrew's life is insignificantly significant. That's the title of the message this morning. You may be like Andrew. You may be sitting there thinking, I may never have a platform to stand on. I may never stand up and speak to hundreds. I may never do a live stream sermon. I may not be called to be a pastor or to be a preacher, but I want to encourage you with this. Because of who's your one, the ones that we're trying to reach, you may think that that's insignificant, but understand you, your life may touch one who then touch, touches thousands in return. The preacher uh, of days gone by, his name was Homer Lindsley. He was a pastor in Jacksonville, Florida. He called Andrew an inviter. He said the way you would typify Andrew's character and his role in Scripture was Andrew is a great example of an inviter. I like the way Johnny Hunt describes Andrew. Johnny Hunt says that Andrew was a bringer or he was an introducer. Andrew was the kind of guy who cared so much about Jesus and cared so much about his friends that he wanted to connect Jesus with his friends and the people that were close to him. He may not have had a big outgoing personality, but he knew the personality that we needed to come to if we were going to have eternal life. He knew that the best thing in life was not to draw people to Andrew, that the greatest call in life was to draw people to Jesus Christ. And that's what we see time and time and time again of Andrew, what he did. He was an inviter, he was a bringer, and he was an introducer. 
Simply put, Andrew is a great example for us today because the truth is most of us are gonna live kind of like Andrew. We're living in the day-to-day, going about our business, doing life. And as we do life, we're gonna come across people who need Jesus. And it's not always gonna give us an opportunity to stand up on a, on a big stool or stand up and say, hey, let me have everyone's attention and speak to a big group and proclaim the gospel. Most of us, our gospel interactions are gonna be one-on-one. They're gonna be with people that we know, people who know us and trust us and love us. And we need to show our love to them by bringing them to Jesus Christ as well. That is how we become significant in this life. So we're going to look at three underwhelming things, three insignificantly significant things that Andrew did that made his impact so special. And it's three things that we need to do too. As we close out Who's Your One this morning, it's a challenge that we all have to face as Graceway Church is that we need to make sure that we are valuing these three things if we're going to be faithful in our witness. The first thing that Andrew did that made his life so significant and and made his decision so good was that he saw the value of one individual person. He saw the value in just one person, in his close relationships that he had. Andrew valued, or Andrew appreciated the value of a single soul. You see, he was known for bringing individuals to Jesus, not crowds to Jesus. Now, some of the disciples, they were good at bringing crowds. His brother, Peter, man, he brought crowds to Jesus. But Andrew was really good at bringing the individuals. And sometimes that's really important because you can be in a crowd and be all alone. There are some people who will get lost in a crowd and never respond to the gospel message in a crowded environment but it'll be in those one-on-one conversations. It'll be in someone, a friend, a close person, investing their life and talking to them time and time and time again and taking the time to uh, share the gospel, maybe more than once with someone before they come to Christ. You see, almost every time we see Andrew in scripture, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. In the text that we just read, he brings his brother, the closest person to him, he brings him straight to Jesus after he's converted. Later on, and we're going to look at this passage in just a minute, but later on, he brought a a little boy who had a little lunch to Jesus one day when everybody was hungry around him. A little bit later on uh, that we'll see in uh, in the gospel narrative, he and Philip bring some Greek guys who were asking to see Jesus as well. See, Andrew is called the first home missionary because he cared enough to bring the people that he lived around to Jesus. And he's also known as one of the first uh, foreign missionaries because he brought Gentiles to Jesus. He's the first one that was noted in Scripture to do that. And this is it. This is, this is Andrew's ministry, basically in three bullet points. He brought, he brought P, uh, Peter to Jesus. He brought a little boy with a lunch. And he brought a couple of Greek guys to Jesus. That's all we know of what Andrew did in Scripture. But I want to encourage you, just because there's not a lot recorded doesn't mean that what he did did not have an impact because of who he brought to Jesus and because of what Jesus did when he brought them to Christ. You see, especially in our, in our American mindset, you see, we're trained in a couple of, of ways. We're trained to think that bigger is better. We're trained to think that more is meaningful, that if we, have big, if we have big things, then that means that we're successful and we've got God's blessing. Or if we have a lot of stuff, then that means we're successful and we've got God's blessing. But that's not the way Jesus looks at everything. He says sometimes that the weak will be the strongest, that the last shall be the first. He notices the insignificant things all around him, and he uses those insignificant things, the things that we think don't matter a whole lot, that don't register a whole lot in the stat book. He uses those things to confound the wise and to proclaim his glory. You see, most people don't come to Christ today as an immediate response to a sermon that they hear in a crowd. I happen to be one that was saved in a church service, but not everybody is that way. 
I know many within our church, and you're sitting here watching right now, maybe that wasn't your salvation experience. You didn't get saved in a church service, or you didn't get saved uh, after hearing within a group uh, a gospel presentation. Maybe you got saved at a kitchen table because one person shared the gospel. Maybe you got saved at home because your parents shared the gospel with you, and you got saved there. Aren't you glad that you don't have to be in a building or in a certain sanctified place in order to come to Christ, that Jesus will save us no matter where we are, no matter where we are, no matter when we call, he'll save us? And I love that because there are some people who will respond to a mass message, but there are many more who are going to respond to a one-on-one invitation to come to Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important that every every believer become a witness and not just sub it out to the professionals and sub it out to what we would call the specialists today. Just because a person is called to be a preacher or a pastor doesn't mean that they're the only ones that can share the gospel. Every one of us have the privilege and the honor and the responsibility, and we also have the means to share the gospel. If you have Jesus as your Savior, you have a testimony, which means you have the tools at your disposal to bring people to Christ. You see, Um, Andrew brought one, he brought Peter. But then Peter, he brought thousands. And that doesn't make Peter better than Andrew. Andrew was faithful in his journey. Peter was faithful in his. All the fruit of Peter's ministry ultimately became fruit of Andrew's ministry too. So all the people that came to Christ when Peter preached, uh, all the people that came to Christ when Peter preached on Pentecost were actually accounted to Andrew's faithful account as well because he brought Peter to Christ. What would have happened if he hadn't done that? Few people have ever heard the name Edward Kimball. Some of you may have because I've used this illustration before, but most people have never heard the name Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in the, in the city of Boston who led a young man at the age of 18 uh, to Christ, and that man's name was D.L. Moody. Now, most of you, if you've studied church history or know much about uh, the early, uh, the history of the 1900s and evangelism that went on uh, throughout America, you are familiar with D.L. Moody. Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Edward went to a Boston shoe store one day where D.L. Moody was working as an 18-year-old young man and he cornered him in the stockroom and he introduced him to Jesus Christ. Kimball was an anything but a bold man. He would never stand in front of a large group of people, just in front of a small group of, of boys as he taught in Sunday school. So he went to that shoe store, as he said, he said, I went to that shoe store frightened. I was trembling and I was unaware whether I would have the courage to confront this young man with the gospel. Moody, on the other hand, was crude. He was obviously uh, illiterate, and Kimball trembled in his boots as he recalled the incident. He said Moody had begun to attend his Sunday school class, and Moody was totally untaught, and he was ignorant about the Bible. And so Kimball said, I I decided that I wanted to talk one-on-one with Moody rather than talking with him in a class because I didn't think he would respond in front of other people. And so he said, I went that day, and I was walking to the store, and I began to get scared because I didn't know if this would be a good time to go and confront him with, with Jesus. And as, he, as I was walking and as I was thinking, he said, I would happen to be in the store, and I looked through the window, and I saw, I saw Moody. And he walked in, and he said, I'm going to just get this over with. And he walked in, and he began to give him the gospel. And then in there, D.L. Moody trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Now, later on, Kimball would say when people asked him, how did, what was the message that you gave him? How did you share the gospel with Moody? What did you say to him? He said, I don't even remember what I said. He said, I said something about Jesus's love or something like that. But that changed D.L. Moody's life that day. And D.L. Moody went on to be the most, uh, the most famous and effective evangelist of his generation. 
Moody Bible Institute and the Moody Church stands in Chicago and many other outreach ministries are still standing in Chicago today because of Moody's witnesses and because of, of Moody's faithfulness. But just like Peter's souls that he won to Christ on the day of Pentecost, Edward Kimball had righteousness accredited to his account because he was faithful enough to share the gospel with D.L. Moody. You see, the Bible tells us that the gospel has an exponential power. And it almost has, it, it bears fruit like a family tree. And every one of us are fruit hanging on a branch of gospel presence and the gospel sharing. I'm gonna talk about where my gospel sharing came uh, in just a little bit at the end, of the, at the, end of, of the service. But it says tens of thousands as well uh, testified later on that they were saved under D.L. Moody's ministry. Because one man, Edward Kimball, led one 18-year-old shoe salesman to Christ. Jesus used that, and tens of thousands of people trusted Christ as their Savior. Later on, there was a couple of other guys that were saved under that ministry as well. There was a guy by the name of C.T. Uh, Studd who became a, a pioneer missionary, and a man by the name of William Chapman who became a well-known evangelist uh, for Christ as well. You see, when we step out and share the gospel, we may not think it's significant. We may think we're just talking to one person, but we don't know what God's plans are and what he's gonna do in the life of that person, or even in the life of ourselves, after we step out in faith and do what we are called to do in sharing the gospel. See, Andrew had followed John the Baptist, and he saw a great number uh, of people sit under John the Baptist. He saw sermons preached by John the Baptist. Remember, Jesus actually said the best preacher he ever heard was John the Baptist. Jesus thought John the Baptist was, was one of the greatest preachers uh, in all the world. So if Jesus had had, a, had had a phone or had a podcast, he would, have been, uh, he would have subscribed to John the Baptist's podcast. He loved his preaching. But you see, Andrew had probably never seen a scenario where people spoke one-on-one -on -one about the gospel. Andrew was a pioneer in doing that because he shared and he understood the value of one individual soul. And church, that's what we have to get to as well that it doesn't matter what it takes and it doesn't matter what it costs. For one person to come to Christ, it's worth it all. It's worth whatever it takes. That's what I wanna challenge you with this morning is make sure that you see the, end, the power and you see the, uh, you see the um, I can't remember the word that I'm looking for, but you see the value of one individual soul. The second thing that Andrew did was he saw the value of insignificant gifts. He saw the value of the little things that a lot of people looked over you see, again, as Americans, we've been trained in that bigger is better, more, uh, more is meaningful. But in order to see the big picture of the Great Commission, we have to be able to seize those small moments, those small opportunities that we have to share the gospel. We have to learn to use the giftedness that God has given us. And you may be sitting there right now thinking, I'm not well gifted. I don't know much. I don't know much about the Bible. I'm afraid of sharing the gospel with somebody because I don't know if they're going to ask me a question that I don't have the answer to. Here's the answer that you can give them. I know how I found Jesus. It's been said before that uh, evangelism is just one, uh, one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. We tell people all about the good news uh, about everything. We find a good deal on something, we're gonna share it with people. We find a, a, a good movie, we tell people to go see it or stream it right now because you can't go to the theater, but we tell people to do all kinds of things. Why is it that when it comes to the gospel, the greatest thing that has ever changed our lives, do we not want to share that? Why are we so scared to do that? Andrew was one who probably didn't see himself as very gifted either. But he said, if I can just bring my brother to Jesus, it'll change his life like he changed mine. 
That's the kind of heart that we need to get. We need to begin to value insignificant gifts. And here's how Andrew did that. A few chapters over in chapter 6 of of the book of John, uh, we see the famous story of when Jesus fed the 5,000. And in the text, what we see in John chapter 6, it says that Philip, when he looked out and he saw the masses that were out there, and it was probably more like 15,000 because they were probably only numbering the men that were there, so, so women and children that were there as well. He looked out and he saw the masses. And when Jesus said, hey, we need to feed these people, it, the Bible says that Philip was about to faint because of all the people that was there. But look at what Andrew did. In verse number 8 of chapter 6, Uh, of the book of John, it says, one of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and some fish. But what are they for so many? You probably know the rest of that story. What happens? Well, Jesus says, bring me the boy, bring me the fish. And he takes that fish and he blesses it. And everybody is fed and filled and there's basketfuls that are left over. Why is that? Because Jesus blesses those things that we think are insignificant. They are significant to him because if we can give him what little we have in faith, he can multiply it to greatness. There is no insignificant gift in the hands of Jesus. I'm going to say that again so you can get this. There are no insignificant gifts in the hands of Jesus. You may think, I don't have a big role within God's family, within God's community here at Graceway or in the church that you're in. But I want you to understand, every believer is significant to Jesus. Every part of the church is significant to Christ. It's not just about the people that stand on the platform under the lights every week. It's about every single person doing their job to share the gospel and doing their job to see that God's glory is revealed to mankind. There's another story in the book of Luke chapter 21 talks about a widow Uh, that was poor and she didn't have much of anything. And it was offering time at the temple. And it says this, that when Jesus looked up and he saw the rich people dropping their offerings into the temple uh, treasury, says he also saw a poor widow who was dropping in two tiny coins or two mites. And he said this, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of these other people. For all of these other people have put in gifts of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all that she has to live on. You see, what we may look at and think that it's just an insignificant thing. And we're really good at judging other people. We're really good at looking at other people and pointing out their flaws or pointing out what they don't have or pointing pointing out their lack. But what Jesus does is he looks at what we have and what we have doesn't necessarily matter to him as much as what we do with what we have. This, This widow gave everything she had, this insignificant little two coins and Jesus used her as an example that was that has reached thousands for thousands of years. I want to encourage you with this. Don't underestimate the value of what other people think are insignificant gifts. You see, because God's ability to use a gift is in no way hindered or is, is in no way enhanced by the size of that gift. It's the sacrificial faithfulness of the giver, not the size of the gift that is significant. And you know what? That really applies to us right now. Because I know many of you this week have gotten word that maybe you're going to have to face a layoff here pretty soon, or maybe you already have been laid off, and you're wondering... How's that going to affect my pay? How is the economy and all of this fallout from all of this pandemic that's going on, how's it going to affect my my pay? And am I going to be able to support my family? And you're sitting there thinking right now, and you want to be faithful to God and giving that that 10% back to God. And you want to be able to help others in this time too. And you're thinking, but if I make less, I'm going to be giving less. And how how can I still be blessed? And how can I be significant? I want you to understand that Jesus takes what many people look at and think are insignificant, and he turns them around for good and to use them for his glory. I encourage you to remain faithful 
uh, with that. You might be thinking that you don't have a whole lot to offer when it comes to giftedness. You may be a brand new Christian and you're thinking, man, I don't know, I don't know how to go about giving a gospel presentation. I don't know the first thing about it. So I want to encourage you to start practicing at it because sometimes the best evangelists are the ones who are the freshest saved because you care the most. You haven't forgotten the pit that you've been drug out of yet. Don't let that die. Remain, remain faithful to him. Don't sell yourself short and don't sell the souls of those that you are called to reach short by stifling up everything because you don't think that the gifts that you have are important enough. Every one of us, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter, matter whether you're a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, a grandma or a grandpa or a kid. Every one of us are valuable to Jesus and every one of us have been given gifts by him to be used for his glory. And he's given you the perfect gifts that you need. So don't ever under, underestimate the value of those gifts. The feeding of the 5,000 shows us how God works. He'll take a little bit and if we'll just let him have it, he'll turn it into what he wants it to do. And the last thing before we close out this morning, he saw the value of one individual soul. He saw the value of insignificant gifts, and then he also saw the value of inconspicuous service. That's a big, that's, that's a mouthful to say. But he saw the value of service that was basically described as something that was behind the scenes. See, Andrew is a picture of all of those faithful people who labor quietly in humble places. A lot of people don't see what they do, but if they didn't do it, it would be felt. I think about those people who, who labor to help maybe keep churches clean, who those who are helping with production teams that are behind cameras right now that may never be seen. They're, the sound of their voice may, may never go out on the airwaves or on, uh, or on the live stream, but their impact is just as important. They're working and they're working for the kingdom just as much as well. And here's what Ephesians chapter six tells us. Do not work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work as slaves or as servants of Jesus Christ. Do God's will from your heart. I don't know about you, but... Do you ever work harder when the boss is around? When the boss walks in, you make sure that you, you're, you're, you're really working and you know, you're not playing solitaire or something. You click on and you make sure that you're actually working on your computer screen or something. You see, that's a people pleaser. That's a men pleaser. That's the opposite of what this verse is saying. He says, don't just work in order to be seen by other people. Understand that we're being seen by God at all times. We're not there to serve just our bosses or the people around us. We are there to serve Christ. And so how are you serving Christ? See, Andrew saw the value of inconspicuous service. Andrew never had his mind or his eye on the platform or the big megaphone, but he did know that when the spirit moved on his heart, he said, I need to bring my brother to Jesus. And so he saw the value of that inconspicuous service. Uh, Andrew didn't mind being hidden as long as the work was being done. He was a leader that had a servant's heart. You see, he never preached to multitudes. He never founded churches like his brother did. There's no gospel of Andrew in the Bible. There's no first and second Andrew uh, in the Bible either. What we do have, though, is this beautiful example in three little verses that sit in between a bunch of amazing stories in the Gospels about Jesus. We have this little passage that gives us all an example who live in the real world of what we need to do. We need to share the Gospel. We need to step out and bring our friends, bring those around us to Jesus Christ. You see, he's an example of how seemingly insignificant things can end up having a significant impact. And so I want to ask you a question because there's about 80% of churches all across the world, 80% of the people who are involved in churches and who say that I'm a believer and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, 80% will never do what Andrew did. They'll never bring someone to Jesus Christ. 
Why? Is it because we think it's too insignificant to make a difference? Is it because we are afraid? Is it because we don't value it enough? Folks, we can't let those excuses and those reasons stand in the way. What if Andrew had done that? What if he had never brought Peter to Christ? What if he just went off and followed Christ himself? Peter would have never been saved. We don't know what would have not been done and what would have not been accomplished. But thankfully he did, and thankfully he was faithful. You see, historians and Christian tradition tells us, uh, after studying uh, and looking through history outside of, outside of Scripture, that Andrew's witness continued beyond the pages of the Bible. There's a lot of evidence that he took the gospel uh, after, uh, after the, the canon of Scripture was finished, that he took the Bible up further north into what we now call modern-day Russia. And then he maybe took a little turn, and he, some believe there's evidence that he made it all the way into Scotland, all the while sharing the gospel as he went. And uh, history tells us that Andrew was actually martyred for Jesus Christ. He was crucified in a little province called Achaia. And it's a little southern province in the Greek empire right close to, uh, close to where Athens is. And he had basically come to a place where he personally led uh, the wife of the, of the Roman governor of that region to Christ at that time. And the Roman governor was so infuriated that his wife had become a believer that he forced her and he threatened her within an inch of her life to denounce her faith in Christ and she wouldn't do it. And so his reaction to that was to punish her, but also to find the man who led her to Christ and, and converted her to Christianity. And so when he found, uh, when he found Andrew, he, had, he ordered that Andrew would be crucified and put on the side of the road on a, on a cross that was in the shape of an X. And he ordered that he wouldn't be nailed to the cross, but that he would be lashed with, with ropes on his hands. And he did that because being crucified in that manner would mean that he would suffer longer before he actually passed. History tells us, and there are accounts that tell us, that Andrew hung on that cross for two whole days before he finally lost his life and gave way to the excruciating agony of, of crucifixion. And it's said that, that in the entire time that he hung on that cross, that the passers-by that were walking by him on the road, he was continuing to share the gospel, telling them to come to Christ, telling them that life lived for Christ is the best life that you can live. Folks, it's important for us to be sold out to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and heaven is only going to reveal in the future one day the impact that the life of Andrew, the brother of Peter, had on eternity. Andrew's living proof, as we close out this morning, Andrew's living proof that you don't have to make the headlines to make a difference. There's a lot of people who want to live their life to make the headlines. They want to be seen. They want to have a whole lot of followers. They want to have a big impact and a big audience, and they want to have a big megaphone to impact the world. But I'm telling you this, on the authority of God's word, you don't have to have a huge megaphone in order to impact the world. Because if you share, one, if you share the gospel with one person, you have changed their world. Don't let the fear of the insignificant keep you away from, from making a significant difference in your one's life. You see, do you remember that story that I told you uh, earlier on in the message about Edward Kimball, the guy who led D.L. Moody to Christ, and then Moody became this great evangelist that led tens of thousands of people to Christ? The story didn't end with D.L. Moody. You see, because Moody ended up leading a man named J. Wilbur Chapman to Christ. And Chapman went on to become an evangelist, and one summer night, uh, as he was preaching the gospel in an open-air meeting, there was a baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday. And as Chapman preached, Billy Sunday heard the gospel and Billy Sunday gave his life to Christ. Billy Sunday ended up leaving baseball and becoming a preacher himself and becoming an evangelist that traveled around. And one night as he was preaching, there was a young man by the name of Mordecai Ham who was sitting in the audience. 
And after the, after the sermon was over with, he approached Sunday and he said, I need to know more about the gospel or the, I need to know more about this Jesus you were talking about. And Mordecai Ham uh, was saved that night as Billy Sunday led him to Christ. Mordecai Ham went on to become a preacher as well. And he traveled everywhere across the United States sharing the gospel. And one night, as he pulled into a small town in North Carolina, a young man by the name of Billy Graham attended that service. And Billy Graham that night trusted Christ as the gospel was preached. Now, most of you know the name Billy Graham. You probably knew the name Billy Sunday. You may have heard other names too. Billy Graham went on to become known as America's pastor. Billy Graham had the audience of presidents. He spoke to millions of people uh, through television crusades and through sharing the gospel. He had a large megaphone and many people trusted Christ. He actually had the audience of the Queen of England and was able to speak with her and spiritually advise her and spiritually advised multiple presidents in his life. Billy Graham's life, we look at and we say, man, what a significant life, what a significant presence of the gospel was Billy Graham. But none of it would have started, none of that would have happened had there not been one Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball who walked into a Boston shoe store hundreds of years before that and shared the gospel with a guy named D.L. Moody. But you know what? The story doesn't end with Billy Graham either. You see, because one night in 1971, Billy Graham came and he preached at Memorial Coliseum here in Lexington where the Wildcats used to play. And um, as he was preaching there, there was a woman in Newport, Kentucky by the name of Joetta Smith who was watching that telecast. And as he gave the gospel, Joetta trusted Christ as her savior there in her living room as she was watching Billy Graham's service. A couple of weeks later, Joetta's husband, Earl, trusted Christ as well. And their marriage that was on the rocks was restored. And a few years later, God called Earl Smith to be a preacher. And he came to Lexington from Newport and he planted a church called Lexington Baptist Temple. And in 1990, on an October night, when I was 10 years old sitting in Lexington Baptist Temple, I walked down the aisle after Pastor Smith taught about hell and I trusted Christ as my savior. One insignificant Sunday school teacher, hundreds of years ago, in a little neighborhood in Boston, walked into a little insignificant shoe store and shared the gospel with one insignificant, illiterate shoe salesman. And in 1990, it led all the way to the fact that I personally trusted Christ. You see, when we stop and when we don't follow through with the yearning of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with someone, we don't know how it will alter history. We also don't know how stepping out into that awkward space to share the gospel will alter history. Every one of us have the potential to change the world just by sharing this message. Whose life will you change? And you know what? The gospel gives us a, gives us a chance to have a legacy that, that lives on and ripples way beyond our, the days that we'll live. So will you take that challenge? Will you share the gospel with, with others? You see, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as I close out. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. 
God uses the insignificant things to confound the wise. You see, nothing about Jesus' ministry really makes sense. Nothing about what we believe honestly makes sense on the surface. That's why it takes faith, and that's why it's so special, because there's nothing like it. And that's my question for you this morning as we close out. How about you? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? The way Andrew trusted Christ, decided to follow him. Do you know for sure that if you died, that heaven would be your home? Have you had that experience like I had when I was 10 years old? when I trusted Christ as my Savior. If you haven't trusted Christ, then today, right where you're at, right where you're watching, could be the day. See, what you have to understand is the Bible tells us that we've all sinned and we come short of the glory of God. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. And if we will admit that we're sinners and we'll call upon him to save us, he will. We have to believe that Jesus can save us. Do you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, when he shed his blood, it was for you? Because the Bible tells us that it was. And then we call on him. You see, there's an amazing thing that happens when we realize that we're sinners in need of a savior. We realize that we better get help. And Jesus is the only one to help when you call upon him to save you. If you haven't been saved, why not trust him today? Trust him right now. The Bible says if we'll call upon the name of Jesus Christ, we'll be saved. So right where you're at, if you would pray a prayer like this, dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you loved me enough to give your life for mine. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would forgive me of my sins. I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. Lord Jesus, today, to the best of my ability, I'm trusting in you to be my Savior, to save me and to take me to heaven when my life is over. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed a prayer something like that and you trusted him as your Savior, and he saved you. And just like D.L. Moody, just like Edward Kimball, just like Billy Sunday, Mordecai Ham, all those people, just like Andrew, just like Peter, just like all those people that, pre- that Peter preached to, you're just as saved as all of them. And if you got saved today, I want to challenge you to reach out and let us know. Tell the person that you're maybe watching this with or in the comment section as you're watching this right now, comment and say, hey, I trusted Christ as my Savior. If you've got questions about that, message us. Send us an instant message right there where you're at or comment in the section there too. We want to pray with you. We want to answer any questions that you may have because we understand that it may take a little bit more. It may take some one-on-one talking. We want to do that with you. Please don't let today end without knowing that you have a relationship with Christ. But Christian, maybe you you already know Christ. So this message was really for you today. Do you know what God's responsibility that, you've give, that he's given to you is, and that is to share the gospel. Even in times when it may, may seem difficult, even when we may have to go through, jump through obstacles and jump through hoops, and we have to step out in that awkward space and have that conversation that we should have had years ago with our friend. It's time to step out and to do that, to take that lead like Andrew did and do something that may seem insignificant, that may seem scary, that may have eternal significance. It will have eternal significance in the life of that friend, but it may have a global significance because we don't know what God can do with that. With God, all things are possible. So let's put it to the test and let's share the gospel with our ones 